Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Government vs. the Robots, the fortnightly podcast that takes a look at how technology will affect politics in the future. My guest this week is Rema Rajeshwari. Rema is the District Police Chief in Telangana in India and we talk about her experience of misinformation and how it can trigger crimes like mob violence. We discuss the role of WhatsApp and how community engagement can help to tackle misinformation spreading on the platform and discuss what an institution as big as the Indian Police Service can do to adapt to the pace of digitalization in one of the world's largest countries. Brema, thank you very much for joining me today. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan. I think this is a great opportunity and I'm really honoured to be uh, sharing my experiences here. Uh, you're, you're too kind and we're looking forward to hearing all about your experiences. Just before we um, dive into some of the, the deeper stuff, I noticed you're from um, Manar in, Ke- in Kerala, is that right? Yes, that's right. Is one part I went on holiday to Kerala and had an, an agonizing decision about whether to head up to Manar or stay on the coast, and I never did, and it's one of my big regrets. So, oh, you must go to my place, it's the most beautiful place in the country. I wanted to ask you whether, when you were growing up there, you always wanted to be a policewoman. Well, I cannot say that as a child I wanted to be a police officer, but then I always wanted to be part of the Indian civil services. Uh, I started having this dream right when I was in middle school and uh, once I completed my college, I started preparing for the civil services examination. Um, And we we still have the civil services modeled on the British civil service. So uh, there are so many services which come under the purview of civil services. So in 2008, when I cleared the examination, I was allotted to the Indian police service. Um, depending on my preferences, uh, so this 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 just happened that I ended up in the uh, police service, but this was not a conscious decision as a child. And how did you when you when you were assigned to the police service? How did you feel about that at the time? Well, I was I was really uh, happy. I was uh, very excited because I was the first uh, uh, female Indian police service officer from my hometown. So I was sort of uh, making a history there. So I was really happy about it. And I thought uh, at that point in time that uh, being a member of the police service, I will be able to reach out to a bigger uh, community compared to any other service. And and, and the beauty of Indian police service is that uh, from the day you join until the day you retire, you are always in touch with the community. Uh, This probably offers the biggest opportunity for you to be in public service throughout the course of your career. 
So I was really happy about it. And you, it seems to me that you've taken advantage of that opportunity to to be a part of or in touch with the community. Um, in that, I noticed that as well as kind of fighting crime, um, you you have a track record for for tackling wider issues or social issues as well. Is that fair? Well, that's right. Uh, and and I am a firm believer in the fact that every crime is a consequence of a social problem unaddressed, either at the family level or at the community level. So while we fight crime, I think it is equally important for us to address the social problems. And and uh, like I just, just said a few minutes ago, uh, Indian Police Service offers uh, the biggest opportunity to address the social problems because you have the power and advantage of law and you are able to address crime in its totality. You are not just fighting crime, but you are also addressing the root causes that leads to that lead to crime. And when you think about your current role in Telangana State, what are the wider social issues that need solving in order to prevent crime? Well, uh, right now we are focusing on a lot of issues, starting from child marriage, uh, the issue of child labour. Uh, the issue of road safety, because of lack of awareness, people end up in road accidents and India probably has one of the largest road fatalities in the world. So I think uh, police uh, department, law enforcement has the responsibility to reach out to the community and educate them about road safety and, and traffic discipline. So that's one of the major areas I'm currently working on. And since 2018, I have started focusing a bit more on the misinformation problem because until 2018, we did not realize that this was going to be a major law uh, law enforcement challenge. And now that it is, uh, I think um, we need to focus a lot more than other issues because with the number of uh, social media and internet and mobile users, uh, if you look at the pace at which it is growing in India, it is a scary situation. So I think we have a responsibility to make sure that um, adequate awareness is created among the community members so that these modes of communication are not hijacked by anti-social elements and they are not used as another tool to do, uh, to disrupt uh, order in society. When was the moment when you first realized that there was a problem with misinformation and digital technology like mobile phones? But this was in 2018. Uh, this was around the time when India was uh, uh, going through a phase where social media rumors uh, led to large-scale violence in many states of the country. Uh, my district, at that point in time, I was posted in a place called Gadwal, and I also faced this problem. So that was... Uh, the moment when I realized that this issue needs serious attention, uh, not just as uh, another uh, crime, but as a social problem, because this was a social problem which was absolutely new to the law enforcement. So since 2018, we've been consistently working on this issue. And what other, some people kind of find it hard to quantify the real world harms that are caused by things like misinformation existing in the digital space. Can you give me some examples of real harms that you see that are caused by misinformation? Uh, the, the one would be the the uh, issue of mob violence uh, that was caused by social media rumors uh, in 2018. And, and uh, off late, we've been uh, seeing that almost every crime has something to do with uh, social media. 
you take the case of cyber crimes cyber bullying online child sexual abuse and and any dispute any grave crime which leads to a uh, uh, a major crime like murder or uh, physical assault um these observed that social media does play an important role uh, so it's too early for us to give the numbers because uh, as i mentioned this is uh, a latest development in the law enforcement where people have used or taken to social media or internet or mobile communication and and they have used it as a tool to commit a violent uh, crime but it is very very important that you enforce law in both these spaces in this physical space and also in the digital space and a lot of people um tend to talk about when they talk about misinformation in india whatsapp is central to the problem in the way that people talk about it is that true of your experience well um absolutely true let me let me talk a bit about whatsapp uh, with 350 million users whatsapp probably has the largest user base in india and the reason why whatsapp is so popular in india is is because of its affordability it's an instant messaging app and and it works pretty much in all the smartphones and if you have seen uh, the the growth in india especially after 2014 and we have witnessed a massive data revolution here affordable data services have totally transformed the instant messaging landscape and 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 the second uh, most important uh, thing here is the way indians communicate i mean in order for anybody to understand the whatsapp misinformation problem in india i think one must have a deeper understanding of the indian society and how communication works in our social fabric how we communicate with each other ours is a very very collectivist culture a culture which strongly advocates cohesion and interdependence the way we communicate is deeply impacted by this we like to share almost everything with our family and friends i mean i've i've understood this problem i've been working on this problem but you if you ask me if i receive something in my whatsapp in the morning my first feeling or my thought is to share it with my family uh because of two reasons i i see two reasons here one is because of the uh, the the credibility of the sender uh i think when it comes to uh message circulation or uh rather message propagation through a platform like whatsapp credibility of the sender plays a vital role and because a particular message comes from a family member or a friend and the receiver gives a lot of weightage to it because of the pre-existing familiarity because you got it from your mother you feel that probably it is true and and the second aspect is uh, you know it's also because the story probably appears to be true let me give a, a small example like right now we are in the middle of covid crisis and we are also addressing the issue of covid epidemic because there is so much misinformation surrounding covid in india and and it has become important for us to address that issue also while we fight covid on the other side and i have seen so many messages in different social media platforms talking about home remedies to fight covid so if you look at the traffic in these social media traffic it's it's amazing it's massive especially during that phase when we had a an extended lockdown people were at home and and they had access to internet i i'm not able to quantify it now because i don't have the data right now but i was told that the amount of traffic went up at least 100 times more than it is during normal times and and people ended up believing in all those whatsapp 
you know, forwards which spoke about home remedies. Like you just have to take uh, warm milk with turmeric because it's a, it's a traditional Indian home remedy. And people started believing that that's enough for you to fight COVID. You don't need to go to a hospital to get tested. And, and these kind of, you know, what's up forwards, unverified, not taken down at the right time, really puts lives in danger. And, and, and that is why it is important for the platforms to own it up, to have some sort of accountability to address the issue. We cannot afford to have an unregulated digital space during a crisis like this. I think the COVID misinformation has been a kind of global phenomenon. You know, as you say, the WHO now refer to it as an infodemic. You know, when I think about the lockdown here in the UK, there was a definite increase in the the, the, the number of memes that were being forwarded via WhatsApp, some of which were obviously untrue. I just wonder, while we're thinking through, you make the really um, valid observation that to kind of understand a misinformation problem, you need to understand the, the context in, and, and, and the culture in which people communicate. And I know here in the UK, for example, we have some streets will have a WhatsApp group for their street or, you know, people have a work group with the people that they work with. What are the usual kind of WhatsApp groups that people would find themselves in in in, in the part of India where you work? Well, we have all kinds of WhatsApp groups, all kinds. I think I'm in at least uh, 35 WhatsApp groups on my personal number. And I cannot begin to count the number of WhatsApp groups I am in on my official number. There are all different kinds. You have the official WhatsApp group where the official business takes place. You have the the, the family WhatsApp group. You have the school friends. You have the college friends. And then you have a community WhatsApp group. And, And what I have observed in the rural areas, people have WhatsApp groups for each community. Uh, you know, Indian community is very much based on the caste system. There are different castes and different communities. And and every caste group or a community group has a WhatsApp group. And there is a youth group and there is a social service group. And, and people, they don't really uh, mind being part of so many WhatsApp groups. And if you look at, uh, you know, how things have changed in the post-2014 scenario, uh, uh, here I would like a very brief mention about the national digital policy. So the, the, the very aim of the policy is to make it affordable and accessible. I'm talking about internet uh, access, internet and also access to communication technologies in India. So if you if you look at the numbers, there are 200 million Indians who regularly use social media. 200 million Indians took to mobile banking and, and they use some kind of a digital payment gateway to make payments, which is a huge thing. I mean, uh, for the rest of the world, when they look at India, I'm sure it is, it's a very surprising fact, uh, given the amount of the, given the scale of digitization, digitalization that's happening in this country. And, and I think, uh, you know, there has been some studies which say that, you know, India has the potential to reach one trillion US dollar by 2025. And this is a projection for the digital economy alone. So, so that is the kind of uh, scale I am talking about. Uh, at a time when digitization is happening in almost every sector, impacting every aspect of the lives of individuals in this country, uh, it becomes even more important for the law enforcement to understand the transformation which is happening, uh, which is quietly happening. Because if you look at the crime landscape, Every crime is directly proportional to some sort of, you know, internet usage or social media usage or some sort of a communication 
tool so so the law enforcement is also uh, investing a lot of resources and map manpower in increasing its capability to fight this and and whatsapp misinformation is one great example because until it happened we had no idea that this can be a problem this can be a potential problem but now that we understand that it's a problem we are working on it hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wonder if you could um, explain to me a little bit about the work that you did when you first realised the misinformation was a problem at a time when the violence was being driven by WhatsApp rumours. From the reading that I've done, you took quite an innovative approach to how you engage with the community to solve that. Can you talk us through it? Um, well, um, in 2018, when we witnessed uh, the first face of violence because of social media rumours in my district. we had to do something about it very quickly and at that point in time um, we were also in the process of understanding the problem we did not have any tools readily available with us to fight the issue so the only method i mean i call it social innovation the only way we could address the issue was to reach out to the community without wasting any time and and tell them whatever little knowledge that we had uh, about uh, digital literacy because i'm talking about a population which 51% of the population was literate 49% was not literate but almost every second person had access to a smartphone and uh, internet access so how do you connect to a community which didn't have access to literacy but has access to internet which is a whole wide world and 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 nobody ever taught them about the user behavior nobody ever taught them about the potential consequences of forwarding a malicious content the potential uh, the, the 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 potential law and order issues that can arise out of you know massive circulation of these unverified content so we used that opportunity to reach out to the community to teach them so all we did was to launch this intensive educative campaign wherein we literally reached out to every household and we taught them 
how to behave on social media without them if you receive anything on whatsapp anything on facebook do not forward it please do not forward the messages if you have any doubt uh, and and mind you at that point in time fact checking was not a big thing it was only picking up in india even you know in the law enforcement we did not have access to a lot of fact checkers and the only way we could do fact checking was to use our own sources my own special branch to reach out to different places to verify the veracity of a particular content so we used all means available to educate the community about the potential pitfalls of you know unverified content in social media platforms and how did people react did people did people believe you and take you at your word did you need help from influential members of the community well initially they did not believe us uh, because of uh, two reasons one uh, traditionally there is this mistrust that exists between the cops and community in india things have changed a lot i mean right now the way indian police works um, most of the state police organizations have invested heavily in people friendly and citizen oriented policing interventions so things have changed but in rural areas and you know very remote places even you know certain amount of uh, mistrust exists so when a police officer goes to them reaches out to them and tells them that don't do this don't believe in this rumors they were not quite uh, they were a bit skeptical about it but i think it took barely two weeks for us to repeatedly reach out to them and and make them understand and by the time they realized that what the cops are saying is true people are getting killed people are getting injured because of this they started believing in us and yes we took the help of the local public representatives and and influential leaders like religious leaders and political leaders uh, we kind of used every possible means which was available so we definitely took the help of the local leaders and and did it work it did it did because uh, see influence works beautifully well um, especially when it com- comes to community engagement when you choose somebody from among the community and you try to pass on a message through that person uh, the message gets across the community pretty quickly and and you don't really have to do a lot of work there uh, so and also because of the staff crunch i had i had the limitation of manpower so i had to take the support of the community members because that acted as a force multiplier for me so in any case i had to take the support of the community elders and other you know influential leaders in in the local areas it's interesting that you mentioned the the trust issue that exists and i think those those trust issues exist between the public and numerous institutions you know whether it's police whether it's politicians and yet misinformation is a problem which is so much solving it requires so much trust do you think that there are ways that institutions state institutions whether that's the police or others need to be communicating differently to tackle misinformation i think uh, right now because we are fighting covid let me talk in the context of covid when covid started in my district uh, when we went into the first major lockdown the first training i conducted for my team was on crisis communication i held a, a two hour long session for my team and i told them about the importance of crisis communication because during a crisis like this it was very important for us to have the trust of the community we wanted the community to listen to us when we explained to them uh, the logic behind a lockdown to fight covid and and for many people they had absolutely no idea about a pandemic because 
most of them have never seen one in their lifetime. I mean, I've never seen one in my lifetime. So it was important for us to build that trust on the institution and, and, and especially about the critical healthcare infrastructure that we were building around that time. And we had to reach out to the community uh, to inform them one because we wanted to be transparent and, and also explain to them about the reasons and the rationale behind every decision that was taken by the district administration. Uh, so as you rightly said, it is very important that you have to use the different modes of communication you have to, to make them believe in you and also understand why a certain step is taken you know, for the betterment of the community. And what do you think are the reasons why people will choose to trust you? Uh, well, in India, even today, government is uh, the single most uh, uh, trustworthy service provider in all aspects. Yes, we do have a lot of privatization, a lot of private actors doing tremendous work in different sectors, but the, the role Indian government plays in terms of taking care of the citizens is it's massive. Which must be really encouraging at a time when there's real challenges for, for people. I, I noticed, I think, do you still use social media monitoring in your police work? Do you do you monitor social media actively now? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think it is the most vital part of law enforcement management now. I think before we plan any major security management or when we have to address a particular issue, we start from the digital space uh, because communication and the digital platforms have been majorly used by criminals, citizens, different sections of the society. So for you to understand crime, to fight it, or to ensure peace in a particular uh, community, you have to start from the digital space. So with each passing year, uh, the state police organization is investing heavily in training police officers, increasing our capabilities. Every district has a social media monitoring cell. And these are a bunch of trained police officers who understand the dynamics of social media platforms. And they watch it. They watch it and they also receive inputs from the community. The most beautiful thing about my social media monitoring cell is that more than the tech inputs we receive by, by monitoring social media, the, the inputs we receive from the community is really helpful for us to address any issue. So we, we are still in the process of you know fine-tuning the way we, we handle uh, social media monitoring. But yes, we have made a huge headway in, in that direction. And I um, I wonder with your monitoring, is it you know, is it a case of monitoring Facebook and Twitter or do you do you have police officers in local WhatsApp groups and do people know that they're there? Uh, not exactly that. We see we for example, there are so many Facebook pages uh, need permission to be part of it. Most of the Facebook pages uh, which are operating out of these rural areas are open to everyone. It's, it's part of the open source. So open source intelligence plays a huge role as well. Uh, and like I said, in a, in a rural district like this, community inputs play a huge role. So the moment somebody is sharing a malicious content in, in one remote village, uh, before the social media monitoring cell gets uh, an input about it, we receive calls from the local community members and they inform that, you know, today that guy was sharing this and, you know, 10 other guys forwarded it. So then, you know, we try to address that issue. The police officer goes there, talks to the community and, 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 and the, we, we tell them to take it down. So this is how it works. And I know that you've worked on issues like uh, working with young boys to, to teach them about positive masculinity 
I wondered if there are other social issues that you're you're keen to work on in the months and years ahead. Uh, uh, women's safety, child safety uh, are two important areas that we've been working since uh, eight years. So teaching boys about positive masculinity has been a very important part of our educative campaigns. And in the process, we also learned about a lot of other social issues like uh, child sexual abuse. If you look at the data which is available in uh, the public domain about uh, child sexual abuse, you will realize that it's one of the worst kept secrets, not just in India, but in different parts of the world because of the social setup and because of some stigma that comes with it. And also because most of the time a child is abused by somebody who is very close to her or him. You know, most of the time the abuser is somebody who is very intimate. We call them the intimate abuser. So because of this social problem, you know, the kids don't really speak about it. They don't open up. And and, and it, it goes on for years sometimes and the kids... Uh, you know, in the absence of a proper support system, um, they end up having a lot of mental health issues. Somebody turns to a crime. Somebody turns to some self-harming things. So right now we have taken up this campaign uh, wherein we go to all the schools in uh, rural areas and we teach them about good touch and bad touch. That's one. And the second area that I've been working since three years is uh, with a group of uh, women. They are called as... The Joginis. It translates as uh, God's wife. This is, uh, you know, one of the oldest systems in India. Uh, back then, they used to call it as the Devdasi system, wherein a woman is dedicated to the local temple and and she is worshipped during the day and in the night. Uh, she can be sexually and physically uh, violated by the men in the village. And in 1998, by an act of uh, the legislature, this system was completely banned in the state. But even today, in some of the uh, remote villages, people try to practice this. So I have come up with a campaign, uh, and we have taken the help of these erstwhile joginis, joginis who were once part of the system, but they have come out of it, they got rehabilitated, and now they want to work towards eradicating it completely. So I have a group of uh, joginis who help me with this. And we try to make sure that these joginis have access to education, adult education, and, and they learn some life skills. And, and we provide them with adequate employment opportunities. And I really take a lot of help from the uh, help from different departments of the government. So this is the second campaign. And the third campaign, obviously, is uh, the misinformation campaign, the educated campaign I just spoke about. So these are the three issues we are working on currently. And it's, it feels like really important work that you're doing. I wonder if you talked earlier about um, digital India and the growth in the digital sector across the country. And I wonder if there are things that you would like to be able to do with technology that you can't do yet, but you're looking forward to. Um, well, uh, there is one area that I do hope that different governments will give it a lot of priority and take it up on a priority basis. That is digital literacy. If you look at how digitalization is happening in different parts of the world, uh, the governments are always in a rush to make sure that everybody gets equal access to technology and internet. But in the process, what gets missed out is uh, a dedicated 
effort to impart digital literacy to the users. And most of the issues that we face today, be it cybercrime, uh, misinformation campaigns, or the really vicious disinformation campaigns aimed at creating violence and disruption, uh, that's because of lack of uh, digital literacy. And the more you educate people, the more they become aware and there will be less opportunities for the antisocial elements to hijack technology to, 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 you know, for vested interests. Uh, so that's one area I would really like all the uh, governments to work on. If I have to talk about the current situation, uh, a while ago we just spoke about the uh, COVID infodemic, you know, how misinformation is creating such a havoc during a, a pandemic like this. So I think governments must battle this. Uh, this is a parallel uh, outbreak that, that we have to handle. We cannot shy away from this. This is more vicious than the regular misinformation campaigns uh, that, that goes on in different platforms. Uh, we must have a mechanism. We must have a mechanism to monitor and regulate user-generated content on social media, which is malicious, which resorts to fear-mongering and has the potential to incite violence and also puts uh, lives in danger. We cannot afford to have a, a, a digital space which doesn't have any control and, and people end up believing all the, you know, the, the sham, sham cures which are being circulated. And, and, and in the process, you know, they, 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 they don't get enough medical care or rather they refuse to get enough medical care. We cannot afford to have that. And also, uh, last but not the least, um, I do think that we all have, a great opportunity to gain public trust by being very transparent with respect to the information on the pandemic management. The more governments uh, become proactive in terms of sharing information, being in touch with the community, the citizens, I think there will be less scope for misinformation to thrive. I think that's absolutely right. And the transparency, the more the data is available, the more that transparency becomes important. And the more that trust is required, the more that transparency becomes important. So I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, lastly, whether you would have any advice for people who find themselves at, in other parts of the world, in other public institutions, trying to tackle misinformation, disinformation. And I wanted to refer to uh, a video that you tweeted this morning, um, welcoming back some of your fellow colleagues who I think may have um, have had COVID or have been off work uh, COVID related. And it was a very joyous video. And I feel that you uh, managed to bring a humanity to your work that isn't always evident in state institutions. And I just wondered if you had any words of advice for other people trying to tackle disinformation and misinformation problems. Well, um, at this juncture, all I can say is that people do not really need digitally processed miracle mineral solutions to beat uh, the virus. What people need is carefully crafted, accurate scientific information. Here I'm talking about COVID management. So it is the responsibility of the state institutions to share reliable source of information on a real-time basis. And about misinformation in general, I think we need to encourage more number of fact-checkers. We need to encourage more critical thinking and institutions have to look at the cognitive aspect of the problem. Uh, we have always focused on the data and the technical side of the problem. Whenever we talk about digital misinformation, there's a lot of focus on platform accountability, regulation, content moderation. 
there are, there are very few people who talk about the user behavior, the cognitive side of it. I think we need to encourage a lot of research on that account, and we really need to uh, inculcate the practice of addressing this issue by different state institutions. This has to be given a lot of priority, is what I'd like to say. Great. Rema, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been a brilliant conversation, and I wish you all the best with your work. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. And thank you so much for watching the video we just shared this morning. We got my day off to a great start. That's all for this week. Rema definitely gave me a different perspective on the challenges of disinformation and misinformation, and I hope she gave you something to think about too. We'll be back in a fortnight's time, but in the meantime, if you've enjoyed the show, please do follow us on Twitter at G-O-V-T underscore V-S underscore robots. Leave us a review or tell your friends about it. My thanks as ever to Sky Redman for her help with the editing and production of this podcast, and we'll see you again next time. 